Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comics Podcast. I'm Christina, and I'm joined by the other nerds, Carissa. Hello. Ryan. Hello. And Rory. Yo, yo, yo. Together, we take on this week's comic. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now. Go over your books and come on back. Each week, one of us picks our books, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the peak of the week goes to Clean Room number eight. Our companion song is Doing It to Death by The Kills because it's dark and broody and gothy, and I love it. <laughs> Vertigo Comics, written by Gail Simone, art by John Davis Hunt, colors by Quentin Winter. I don't know if this is my favorite issue, but it's kind of up there on my favorite issues of the issues of Clean Room so far. I seriously would like to gather a group of people to wear the freaking outfits. Those jumpsuits? Yeah. Yes, the Clean Room suit. Would you not freaking kill it at a comic convention with a, a squad of people wearing those suits in different colors? and scare the shit out of anyone who read that comic? Seriously, how good is John Davis Hunt's character design and just the aesthetic of this book? It's fucking awesome. So fucking good. I feel so bad, because if anyone's not reading this, it's totally going to be fucking spoiled. Astrid gets shot. <laughs> is by her brother? Yes! Holy shit balls! There's a great build-up to it, because we don't know who it is at first, but, I mean, obviously she had to have known, right? Mm-hmm. Or have they not been in contact in so many years that they don't recognize each other? Other, Well, other than, obviously, we know who she He knows who she is. I'm thinking she's been isolated and kind of busy with her stuff. Yeah, they wouldn't have recognized him. I mean, they knew there was obviously something going on, but mm-hmm. they didn't know who he was. The book is really... It's good. It's yeah. I like the part in the beginning with the rat. That was great. That was interesting. Master Gajot is her brother have Chloe meeting with kind of an interesting scene, meeting with the detective in that kind of like get whole uh, diner-y weird place with the cheese and pickles soup. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought they used later, which is really interesting, where like they said like nobody wants to be the pickles of the soup, which I thought, I was like, why don't you want to be the weird thing in the normal soup? (laughs) You'll be the pickle? Yeah, I was like, I'll totally be the pickle. (laughs) I love her expression when she tastes the soup, like all the little reaction panels. You have to assume it is not good. I love cheese soup and I love pickles. The two together do not sound appealing to me. What does he say? That's gonna haunt your dreams? That guy is weird. Astrid's been shot. They take her to surgery at the clean room at her request. I love that Killian hits whatever that is. That's the emergency button. And Astrid says, apparently I'm incapacitated or deceased and she has the plan of what they need to follow if something happens to her. So obviously she's had this prepared and ready to go if anything happens. And I love the panel of just her with her very proper teacup saying hell is real and the devil is coming and it's like holy fuck so this is defcon 5 is obviously what's happened because she's potentially not going to be living anymore we have no idea yet but it's a great explanation of where she kind of lays it out and says i can't let you one of my followers take over you know there's somebody else i need somebody who sees the world how i do which is where obviously chloe comes in who's actually been requested and now being flown to see her with the detective and her neighbors i think that's not only her worldview that she's talking about but the fact 
fact that they can both see the alien demon monster things. I mean, honestly, I don't think Chloe sees the world the same as Astra does, but it is the, I see the monsters, I see the hell, I guess, on Earth. At the end of this book, I'm still confused who is the bad guy and who is the good guy with that last panel. Chloe has basically brought one of these horrible, horrible monster things into the clean room. Yeah. I have no idea where this is going now. But at the same time, that means it can't get out right. because if the clean room is sealed, then... That's true. I mean, I guess Spark is, he's been tamed, right? He got exorcism performed on him. Everybody in there could potentially die. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that is super creepy when he kind of like rips his way out of like the flesh suit that he's in. Oh, it's creepy. Yeah, which is her neighbor. <laughs> her so sweet gardener house with the guns. I know, her poor hillbilly neighbor. So sweet. I think it's probably the best book that most people aren't reading right now. <laughs> Fuck! Book is so good. So fucking good. So fucking creepy. Totally. No. How do we make people read this book? Gail Simone is a fucking master of horror. This is amazing. And it keeps you engaged and it keeps you wanting to know what's going to happen next and totally not knowing what's going to happen next. I'm always, every issue of Clean Room, I'm surprised by something that happened. Yes. Oh, did you catch they also have their kind of little language of how their bishops and their the level of protection? or whatever it is there's blue shield or whatever yeah they have their own terminology for all of that which i thought was kind of fascinating there was somebody that they can only be a level they only wanted level four something in the room or guarding the room which i thought was really interesting i think that's a parallel to scientology i think that i totally thought the same thing but i paid a lot of money to get this level and i'm like that sounds like scientology (laughs) (laughs) yep don't sue us (laughs) i think that there's definite parallels there they talk about there's these outreach programs that children are going on there's different levels that people have attained. Oh, yeah. They look at her like she's obviously a, a leader of some sort of religious kind of culty thing. I mean, the comment about they're paying $2,000 to watch her talk about, a, you know, a rat, so. The thing that I was impressed with, two things. You were saying who's the villain and who's the hero and how much planning those freaking Germans with their planning. Astrid Mueller is a master planner. Yeah. He's got contingencies in place for everything. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure she probably has her whole life planned out and her afterlife planned out. Like, she has the plans ready to go. Like, I'm sure if she kicked, like, if she actually kicks it, some sort of message is going to shoot out across the world about the next plan or the next phase or something like that. I'm sure that it's all all prepared. This one live for me. This one was probably one of my all-time favorites. This was so good. There were so many things in here that were so freaking awesome. Yeah, I loved it. My, I think this is my first five, actually. Were you on the one with Doctor Strange? Yes. I think so. There was one issue of Doctor oh. Strange where we all gave it. It was five. the one right before Last Days of Magic. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I thought I gave it oh. almost a five. All right, second five <laughs> ever. <laughs> What'd you give it? I gave it four and a half cheese and pickle soups. Oh, shit, I didn't give it a thingy. <laughs> Damn it, five rats. My white rats. Personally, my favorite issue still is the weird I'm seeing sex orgies guy and the scratchy scratchy. That's still my favorite clean room issue. Oh, it's fucked up. <laughs> But this one, I gave it a good four and a quarter Sparkies. Sparkies. <laughs> the demon at the end. Oh, because his name's Spark. Oh, yeah. I was like, Sparkies? What the fuck? <laughs> Did I miss a page? Yeah. <laughs> Don't judge me. Let's see here. I'm going to give it four and a half hot dead ass. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say that I liked. Fucking loved when it. she got shot, I liked that the, the way that they the gunshot seemed pretty realistic to me. The entry wound is very small, but the exit wound is actually really large. And you can see all the, the viscera and the blood yeah. coming out of her. It was, it was a good panel. And also the way it was composed with them being on two different levels and the lines mm-hmm. of it. I thought it was a really well-composed panel. I originally was going to cover the beauty, but we couldn't find copies. So I picked Star-Lord 
Discord number seven. Marvel Comics, written by Sam Humphreys, art by Javier Garon, and colors by Antonio Fabella. I believe that's how you say it. So this, I was pleasantly surprised. Originally, I thought this was going to be the, was it Legendary Star-Lord, where it's covering him where he's young? But no, this is a jump back to the Star-Lord where Kitty Pride is for a while Star-Lord. And so I was happy that it was this one, because I prefer this one. I agree. Yeah. It opens with Groot and Rocket playing some sort of weird fantasy sci-fi board hologram game which i personally i i'm just gonna say this at the beginning i thought this was part one of the best parts of of the comic i like their banter and them joking and rocket being a sore loser basically they're talking about how they don't know why kitty and peter broke up they don't know why oh i also love that the issue is called they're never ever getting back together Nice little Taylor Swift <laughs> reference there. And goes, this is how we find out. And so then it cuts to Kitty and Peter being trapped by the Collector. And the Collector's crazy, I'm going to make a dating game, Kiss and Tell, I believe it's called, show. And so he has them trapped. And that's how, that, that's kind of funny. And actually, the things I don't really like how they're drawn. I think they changed the artist. Sorry, Javier. I really like the Collector. He's kind of cr- super creepy Joker-like S5. He definitely looks like a crazy man. It's just the Joker. Yeah. But I'm not feeling the two main characters. Groot and Rocket. Groot was fine. I actually like kind of like Groot that way. I love their outfits, the clothing, great clothing drawing, but I did not like their faces. I was not pleased. But anyways, I'm jumping around. Basically, they're trapped and they don't want to talk about it. Uh, Star-Lord basically says, well, I have a plan. Let's just fake it. There's this series of scrolls acting out their stories. The scroll dinner theater troupe. So they're like over the top stories and you get these cute little panels of Scarlet Witch hanging off of Star-Lord with Storm and She-Hulk. And then there's the Conan the Barbarian panel. So they're basically wearing out girls. He says something wrong, as Quill's often to do, you know, and he really does upset her. They're like, oh, we're gonna start up another night. And then it shows the collector take her off to the side and ask her what's, like, really wrong. It's just a bunch of silliness. I like, I did like, if you look at the, so they go past the collector stuff. And if you look, did you guys see in the panel, there's, like, the Dragon Balls numbered differently. Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, the thing that says, official handbook of the all-new Marvel Universe. Oh. Oh, I cracked yeah. up when I saw that. That was that hilarious. Was, I thought that was really cute. Peter's been like trying to click his heels together as she calls him his ruby slippers to try to notify Rocket and Groot to come save them. And they're busy arguing about the game and about what, why they broke up. My favorite part is where he keeps accusing Groot of cheating and he calls him a cheating, you dirty Dutch elm. <laughs> Woodpecker bait. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was really cute. And Groot's just like, mm, whatever. And that's where it ends. So we don't know the second half. We don't know what Kitty is going to say, what the reason is. But I think it, I mean, it was it was a cute little romp. I, the artwork really distracted me for the two main characters. I liked it. It wasn't super drawing me in as far as the story. But, I mean, I did laugh a hell of times reading. The artwork, I don't dislike it. I mean, it's not, like, super awesome, the the most intricate work I've ever seen, but, I mean, it's not bad, and considering kind of, like, the tone of the comic, I kind of think it worked. I wouldn't have picked it. I haven't really cared much for the theories, but, I mean, it was fun. Actually, it was, it was funny. I did It did get me the most laughs when the when Rocket and Groot were playing the games, and mm-hmm. the weird panels of, she's, like, the 50s woman, the Conan one, like, those those were funny. I mean, there's some funny, there's some good laughs in here. I still want to know what salsa elves are. <laughs> yeah. I liked 
this way more than I thought I would. As far as the art goes, I think the art is pretty serviceable. I mean, it's clearly pretty standard comic book art, but they do that reaction panel where Peter basically gets really real with Kitty and says something to her that really hurts her. Those face reaction panels are really good. That's the part that elevates it up. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, it's pretty, I would say, pretty standard comic book art. I thought the part with the collector in his little short little Playboy Mansion robe was super creepy and weird. And the couch? The weird yeah. changing couch? Like, I really felt like this should have been... Um, I don't know if you guys know who Mojo is. He's the one who does all the like the TV stuff. Like This felt more like it should have been Mojo, but yeah. it was the Collector because it's Guardians of the Galaxy related. I felt that was kind of not really in keeping with the Collector very much, but overall it didn't really matter that much to me that it wasn't exactly the Collector. I, th- I thought it was good. I thought that it was really funny. And then when Peter like hurt Kitty Pride, I thought that was a pretty emotional, impactful scene. Because she doesn't actually say that much to him, but it's just that look on her face where she's like, you can be a real jerk. <laughs> you know. And if you've ever said something to somebody that maybe you didn't quite mean that really hurt their feelings, that's the look on their face. I enjoyed that. I thought it was really funny, like everybody said. Better than the when we first started reading the Star-Lord ones, where it was like him in whatever academy... That was not good. They're two different series. Oh, is it? This one's just Star-Lord. That one, I think, is the legendary Star-Lord or something like that. Well, the legendary Star-Lord sucks. This one's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. I also like the panel where they were showing you when he's trying to get his boots to, like, click together. And it's like a 3D shot, so you Mm -hmm. can see his, like, sock. It's like pizza sock that's all, like ratty and has holes in it. They have holes in it? I thought that was pretty funny. The artwork isn't horrible. I just, it's more, I've seen Kitty and Star-Lord drawn in a way that I like better, yeah. if that makes more sense. Like, I don't think it's like horrific artwork. It's just like, yeah. that's not how I like to see Kitty look. That's not how I like to see Quill look. I guess I would say that the actual drawings are pretty standard quality, but the artist does put a lot of little details in the background that he didn't have to put in. I gave this one three and a half pizza socks. I gave it three salsa elves. Salsa elves, yes. <laughs> I love. I, I gotta know what a salsa elf is so bad. You guys suck. You take all the good ones. Um, you know, I dug it. It wouldn't have been my first pick out of our thing, but I liked it. So I'm going to give it three Galactic Toothpicks. I gave it three and a half scroll dinner theater troops. I thought that was funny. So we got Black Eyed Kids number two, Aftershock Comics, written by Joel Pruitt. Art by Simon Kudransky, uh, Colors by Guy Major. Start off with the dad of the kid Michael from the previous Black Eyed Kids. He's getting woke up in the middle of the night. He finds out the daughter's in the hospital. Goes rushing to go see her and gets met by some Black Eyed Kids basically trying to, like, kill him. So they find it. So they figure out that basically there's some sort of some sort of like completion ritual with the black eyed kids where they have to kill their entire family. So that there's like no connections. Later on, there's this lady. She's a writer and she's like doing her book signing. And then she walks out and there's two kids sitting out in this snowstorm, which should be kind of a, a warning sign in the first place. But total bleeding heart thing. So and, uh, you know, offers <laughs> yeah. them food and to take them in. They're like, oh, yeah, shoot, we're starving. <laughs> That was so creepy. <laughs> yeah. What is wrong with these people? He asked you to come in. Hell no, you can't come no. in. Say what you have to say from the door. You haven't anyone learned that from any horror movies? First I think, oh, they're vampires. Hell no, they're not coming in. I watched Buffy. Later on, the writer gets 
taken into this warehouse and there's like this little kid he uh, informs her of the plan so it turns out that there's some sort of force i'm not really sure whether they're aliens or whether they're demons or what they don't really clarify he basically tells them that humans are like cattle just like cattle you know you have your work cattle your grazing cattle and then you have your fucking food cattle you know he basically tells her that she can either kind of choose which one she wants to be that's kind of like his thing is he wants her to chronicle the extinction of the human species and it shows he's creepy ass scenes with all of these black eyed kids surrounding him. Uh, I swear this one, it's really just, it's a combination. I mean, the story's creepy, but just this artwork is just so fucking scary. And they're so good at like framing the shot, the lighting and everything. It's just like, this is like, dark. I love it. I, I can't get enough of black eyed kids. It's just, the book is perfectly dark, dark in color and just in story. The young kid who's obviously like the mastermind, which is always such the perfect classic creepy freaking young kid who's the total ruler of all little blonde perfect child having him talk to an adult how he's talking to an adult is such a just an awesome just like freaky freaking thing i love it i love the line our army is being gathered and just the black just the close-up on the black eyes those last couple panels are just oh they're so creepy so creepy good I love it, love it, love it. It makes me anxious, this book, and this reading, it makes me just very tense, and while I give it credit for that, I'm like, I don't want to do that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Old people and kids being creepy, man, they just, that just gets to me. It's just messed up, I mean, like, just imagine that father. Yeah, this was, this was really good. I mean, the writing, the scene where he has to take the little, where he's going to the hospital, and he has the little, the stuffed bear that he's bringing, because that was his daughter's thing when she was a kid, and maybe that will remind her and bring her out of the coma. That really got to me. I actually had to put the book away. And I was like, nope, this is going to take more than one one reading. I got to go. It, it was, I think that was a really hard scene to read for someone who has, has kids. At least to me, it really got to me. Art-wise, this book is just, it's amazing. The first thing I think that I notice about it is the book is black with color on top of it. Like it's not white with some dark. The book, every page is completely black with some color put on top of it. So it really lends you that sense of it being like dark and creepy. The other thing that I really like is the the panel composition. They're not the same shape or size from page to page which keeps it interesting. The other thing, I also really like what they do with the gutters between the, the panels, yeah. that they also are different sizes and colors, and then some of them have will be white with like splotches of black on them. They're imperfect, which is really interesting. Yes. I think as the chaos that they're experiencing gets bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. the panels start getting more disjointed. They're not so perfect and lined out. If they start bleeding, they're not actually even rectangles or squares. Like They're just, they're off, which just adds to that feeling of total creepiness and being one step behind what's going on. And that kid yeah. is so fucking creepy. Like little children who are evil. It's like a horror classic. But Mm -hmm. I mean, the way he's talking to her, you can tell he is very old. He might have the body of a child. It kind of reminded me in True Blood where they have the child vampire. I mean, this guy is pure evil, but it reminded me a lot of that. Always that weird (laughs) contrast of the the young child being like the eldest, wisest. This also reminded me a lot of 30 Days of Night with the way that they talk about humanity. I really enjoyed this one. I mean, this is creepy, creepy book you should be reading. 
second creepy book you should reread. Yes. Yes, I totally agree with that. We will give you some nightmares. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you want your creep factor, start off with clean room, and then move your way down to black-eyed kids. That's what you need. <laughs> You're going to be having a nightmare about something or other. <laughs> Let's rate it. So uh, I'm going to give this guy four homeless kids. <laughs> I will give it four baseball bats. I gave it three teddy bears. Oh, I was going to use the teddy bear. I gave it four imperfect panels. So moving on, taking us over to the Marvel Universe, a little brighter here. We have Spider-Man number four from Marvel Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Sarah Pacelli, colors by Justin Ponser. So this one is, there's, there's a lot actually... I identified with in this story. So you basically have them having a, a conversation in their school lunchroom about the new kid that Miles' friend wants to meet. He kind of has a crush on him, but he's afraid to go talk to him because he's uh, a former X-Men. He's one of the worst X-Men. He's still been on late night TV and, you know, is famous. So he's a little intimidated to go talk to him. And they have what I think is a really good conversation about that Miles won't understand what's going on because he's always been kind of cool and he's thin and he doesn't have to doesn't have the same issues that he has and then Miles points out that he's African American and Hispanic he has his own issues to deal with and so they have a really good bit of dialogue there that goes back and forth it gets a little too much they sound like each other but that's a very the dialogue is still pretty darn good. The art on this is really, really awesome. So after they have this confrontation with talking about uh, gold balls and wanting to go to go meet him, one of the gold balls lands on the lunch table, you know, kind of like a meat cute in a way where like the food goes everywhere and gold balls comes over to apologize for what happened. And that's when things kind of go off the rails a little bit. Miles's friend is really kind of like nervous and he's trying to find a way to connect with this person. And the way that he chooses to do it is using Miles, the fact that Miles is also a superhero, basically outs him, you know, that he's Spider-Man, that he's an Avenger. Gold Balls is like, you should not have told me that. If that's true, like he doesn't believe him at I first. like Miles' friend Garnick or whatever his name is, the chubby one. Bianca, I'm not sure, but yeah, he crossed the line. I thought it was not nice. And I really didn't like the gold balls. It kind of, this is wrong sounding. <laughs> that is a pretty funny name, gold I gotta ball. say. <laughs> oh, we'll just talk about gold balls in the meantime, because that just made me laugh. Over and over. superpower ever. Gold balls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Miles's friend kind of outs him to Gold Balls, which I thought was actually kind of an interesting parallel because not Miles, but his friend and Gold Balls are both are both gay. So I thought there was a really interesting parallel with him being being outed to him, his superhero identity. So after yeah. this, this all happens. Miles goes off to do his, his Spider-Man stuff and he's swinging around the city when these like missiles start coming after him. So he's flying around the city trying to find places to have the missiles hit that aren't going to hurt anyone. So it was actually kind of funny. He has him like crash into like Parker Industries, which is where Peter Parker is. And then there's, he can't get past all of them. He gets hit by two of these missiles. And the scene where he falls, it's like several panels of him falling. And it's brutal. First of all, they have the, just a super long, because he's, he's clearly to me knocked out. Like when you see people get knocked out and they hit the ground, their body lands in positions that are not normal. And when he hits the ground, he's lying in that kind of position. If he was conscious when he was falling, he would just like web his way down, you know, and be fine. But he's clearly unconscious. So he falls in this one panel. Then he like hits the school bus 
bounces off the school bus and then like slams into the sidewalk into like a garbage can and is just lying there on the ground just like broken and bleeding uh, and that's when mobsters show up that were using the missiles to bring him to Black Cat who has like a bounty on the spider so that issue was it was interesting. I, I enjoyed it. I thought the writing was really good. I thought the art was good. It had a lot of really, I thought, interesting conversations in it towards the end. And then it had some really brutal violence in the aftermath of it. Miles is just a kid. And seeing him lying there broken, that's an impactful scene. I did not scene. like seeing that. It made me sad. It looked, costume was cut up and blood coming out. I was like, I don't, that, that was, that's brutal. That was pretty brutal. It reminds me a lot of if you watch like UFC highlights and you'll see someone get knocked out and then they fall like against the cage and they don't land right. What would you think of Spider-Man, Chris? I thought he crossed the line and I think Miles had a point as a chubby person. I'm like, uh, I totally feel him. It is a very interesting social dynamic where sure there are... One of the last socially acceptable reasons to be mean. Yeah, exactly. That's not okay to be racist, but it's okay to be a fat shamer. It's a very delicate thing. So, like, I, it definitely makes me think of that. Wouldn't have outed my superhero friend. And you know a famous person, you don't, like, go to tabloids about them. It's just like, you just don't do that kind of thing. I really yeah. like how the Miles Spider-Man are drawn. I really like how they look. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think Sarah Pacelli's art in this is I really good. I love the good. panels of just his eyes. They're so expressive. That was one of the one things I noticed before, too. Like, his, when they do the close-up of his eyes for his expressions, they're really, really good. Yeah. For both of them, both yes. uh, Miles and his friend. I thought it was stellar. I haven't read a, a Spider-Man title in a while, and so it was fun to come back to it. Uh, the the artwork is just awesome. I, I really enjoyed a lot of the banter. Yeah, gold balls, shitty as fuck. It's like, can't I get a good mutant copper? Every time it's gonna be like gold. Oh, I take it that's when Marvel kind of like got to the point where they were kind of running out of superhero ideas. Fuck <laughs> it, we, We've got the Brooklyn Brawler of superheroes. <laughs> I'm waiting for some other like weird ones, like some weird female villains, like purple titties. Like, why don't we have that? Pasty puncher. <laughs> you know, I'm curious about that myself. <laughs> Donkey puncher. Nipple uh, twister. I can always count on you yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, keep it classy. So I gave this three and a half fancy missiles. I gave it three and a half no chubby shamers. Three and a quarter gold balls in your, all over your face. <laughs> I'm going to give it three and a half hammerheads. I had May, number one, Dark Horse Comics, written by Gene Ha, art by Gene Ha, and colors by Gene Ha and Rose McLean. I originally had this one on my list because it definitely, you know, as you might have noticed from my picks, I like kind of like the fairy changeling-esque world, like Red Thorn and insects and things like that. And this kind of had that feel to me from the description. It starts off with like a mom trying to find her kid. She's calling the cop and saying her kid is missing and that this little sister said that she ran away and they're looking for her and it shows her looking in her room and she finds a box and it's full of like really weird trinkets and like what I would call tokens, you know, like a weird golden beetle and some other things like that. And it's kind of weird because it gets the impression that like parents or a mom might live in fear of her because when she hears the daughter come home, she's hurriedly trying to put away the thing so she doesn't get caught. Really? For a little kid? I, I, I find that hard to believe. I feel like most parents would be like, I found this stuff. What's going on? Basically found weird things and then she runs and leaves because she hears that 
Abby came home, she closes the door and you see like these little weird guys come out from hiding. And so it goes on, it then flashes forward to like, you know, they live, basically it looks like they live like in the Midwest podunk town is what it seems like. The sister of the girl that we were talking about who ran away is now grown up and she's visiting with a friend who went off to college and is hearing all about it. This girl stayed behind and kind of had it rough. Some threats from bar, I don't know, bros. Yes. Basically drunk bros talking about her sister. Then threatening, oh, she has a call saying her sister's at the police station to come bail her out. And she hasn't seen her in eight years. So basically the sister ends up pulled a Gertrude from Fairyland, I guess. You know, it's been like there being the queen or some sort of ruler. It's kind of diluted. And basically you find out like their dad's in the hospital or something like that. That's what it seems like. The daughter's been taking care of him and their shop. And there's they don't know if the sister's crazy. She's trying to explain to him where she's been all this time and everything like that. And then they stop at a gas station and there's like some weird beaver cat monster guy there like in a hoodie <laughs> and there's kind of like a fight about it and finally the sister sees him and they take off and he's spying on them and like there is a panel at one point that has other creatures saying they're looking for the escapee or the you know, criminal at large and so you're not sure if that's the sister or that weird cat beaver it was not my favorite the artwork looked not like typical comic book artwork it was very i made this on my computer new kind of style kind of anime ish it reminded me of captain planet anyone remember that horrible yeah hey captain planet was more retro this has that kind of cleaned over computer lots of filters look though this looks like it was made on a computer. Like most art is done digitally now. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. But it looks, you still, it looks like it was drawn by hand. This does not look like that. Weirdly too clean. And I understand that could be like the kind of surreal look they maybe want to go for. The two sisters, I know they're sisters and they're supposed to look alike. The, the, in some scenes, they really look alike. And it's hard to tell them. It's yes. interesting, but it's not engaging enough. I mean, like I didn't like super hate it, but I didn't really like it. I'm just kind of, Mm, about it i guess is the best way the arts was a big hurdle for me to get past but i'm glad i did because like it's very imaginative and creative like there are things i haven't seen i mean it does look kind of weird like i don't like the aesthetic of it but i like the creativity of what they're trying to show weirdly the creatures looked a little bit better drawing wise i want to say like it looked a little bit more comic booky more when it was like that creature more than so the girls. I'm ho- I don't know I'm if they're trying to, to do that to show that they're from like different worlds, you know? Different worlds. Exactly what I was, was going to the point. The thing I'm, I'm, so I am kind of curious to just see if they show you go into that world how it looks. Like I might pick up another issue just to see if they take you into that world, what that looks like. The art was too, too rough for me. I opened it. I actually wanted to read this one. And when I opened it, I was like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. The one thing, though, I do have to say is if at the end of the book, there is a double page by a different artist. It actually looks like the artist who does the island. If it looked like that, I would read it because I absolutely love how that looks. Everything else, I can't look at their faces. They're freaking me out. I feel kind of bad because it's all the same person. I'm like, dude, like, yeah. share the love. Give it to another artist. You're, it's Dark Horse. I'm sure they got people. The face kind of fall into that uncanny valley for me. The last bit. double panel page, if that artist did this whole book, it, I think it would look fantastic. Cat, the battle cat that I see on that page is freaking awesome. I would have loved it to be that. Yeah, that I artwork look- did look good. So it reminded me a lot of Birthright over from Image as well. It shares a lot of similarities. Yes, like the it. one sibling that goes off and becomes something else. And Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I think you What'd guys you think, are Corey? fucking tripping. <laughs> I liked the artwork, actually. I thought it was... I enjoyed the colors of it. I thought it was real pretty. See what you guys are saying? What the characters kind of looked a little bit too alike, so it's kind of hard to differentiate them at, at, at certain points. The story... I'm with Carissa on, on kind of the way... It's like, I like this general like concept of the story, but like the dialogue that was going on and stuff, it really didn't just like draw me in, so that's like the only downside for me on that one. I mean, I don't know. I was I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised myself because I wasn't first. I was like, "What the fuck is going on with this?" But you know, uh, I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, like I said, I, I'm glad I stuck with it because I ended up liking it a lot too. If you pick it up, you first see it's going to be hard to look at the first couple pages. It's not going to look right to you. But if you keep yeah, with I, it, I, think I don't know. I, I dug it right off the bat. I don't know. Yeah, it, obviously, it's going to be like kind of like a polarizing effect. Some people are going to dig dig the art. Some people aren't. I think. I really hope it's one of those ones just ramping up, I'm hoping, is what it's going to do. Um, I gave it two and three quarters golden beetle things. Oh, we'll give it two and a quarter Captain Planets. Taking <laughs> 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 pollution to zero? I'm going to give it three tooth necklaces. I liked it. I think I'm going to give it the highest rating. I gave it four golden oh, axes. Oh thought it was what they were showing you was very, very creative. I like seeing things I haven't seen before. Pretty much everybody has some, some image that is unique. Like I also like that there's things that you don't see completely. There's people talking inside this shop and you can't see the creatures or monsters. You just see this big cat head moving around, which kind of reminds me of a creepy version of my name, Totoro, a little bit, was the impression that I got from that scene. Overall, it's very creative. It looks a little weird, but it's worth sticking with I think it. it a look. It, it burns. It burns the retinas. <laughs> Bleach for the eyes. I knew there were two versions of the cover. I wanted the alt cover, but Brian didn't have it, so I was like, oh, "Okay, I guess I guess I'll stick with the regular cover." And then I opened it. and I'm like, "Oh, it all looks the same." Hmm. <laughs> so disappointed. You had something from the Marvel universe for us, I Christina. Did last Seeds of Magic number one by Marvel, written by Gary Duggan, art by. Publish. I don't really read Deadpool. I appreciate Deadpool. I've read some of the stuff. I haven't read any of the curtain stuff. The only reason I picked this up, of course, because it's a tie-in to Doctor Strange, The Last Days of Magic. So I'm not familiar with a lot of the characters that were in here, but holy shit, some of it was hilarious. The ghost <laughs> of Ben Franklin. The character. <laughs> I was like, WTF. That's from that's from the last arc before the whole Secret Wars thing, and that's probably my favorite arc of. It's Deadpool. hilarious! It is completely hilarious. I go back and read Dead Presidential. Laugh. Your I'm going to have to because that was freaking hilarious. I was so surprised. So it's the same thing. We're fighting the empirical, the crazy ball-headed robot-y things, and the what were the what did we decide those those wolf? Would they like wolf? So it's just like, it's all and out brawling with Deadpool and his wife, which I don't know who that is either, but she seems pretty cool. That her name's like Shikli yeah. or Shikli or something like that. She's like a demon that uh, rules like the Undercity. She like forces him to be, to be her husband. I remember it wasn't like necessarily willingly at first. Yeah, they like yeah. each other now. Beastie, and then I we think have- it's Doctor yeah, I thought it was Doctor. That's kind of nice because that at least is the tie-in to the Doctor Strange because we've seen him in that. So I was like, okay, cool. I, I can I can get with this. We have some weird Scott. That's Michael. Michael is an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. who's like in their paranormal yeah. division, but he's a complete fuck up. Like everything he tries to do, yeah, he screws up. In the, the arc I was talking about, the Dead Presidents arc, he thinks America is like on the wrong path. So he's going to bring back the Founding Fathers to... Yeah. 
uh, save everything, but he ends up animating them as like zombies. And Deadpool has to go kill them all because they can't send a respectable superhero to like murder Abraham Lincoln. So that that's Michael. Michael's kind of the magical fuck up. Um, of I appreciate the kilt and the upskirt kilt shot in one of the panels. Yeah, and he's a hairy beast. He is a hairy beast. He's a hairy beastie. Uh, I laughed. I laughed through a lot of this, but then it got super sad. Like, what the fuck? I couldn't believe that. That's one thing that Jerry Duggan does really well in his Deadpool arcs is like, it's funny as shit because it's Deadpool, you know, but he does actually give him like a coherent plot and like emotional impact and like ties. To, I was to really, people. really surprised the very, very end. And it was like, he was like, ge- he was genuinely sad mm-hmm. about what happened. Just so you all know. The, the dude in the kill died. He saves everyone. That was nice and sad. It was gruesome. That was a really gruesome death. Poor sad little goth knocked up goth girl. No. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is going to continue tying in. But I thought it was kind of a nice little extra side story. That whole undercity that she rules is like where all the monsters of New York mm-hmm. hang out. So that's where like your Frankensteins and werewolves and, you know, all those kind of creatures live. I enjoyed it. I was surprised. And I love that he vomited the act of puking without puking. Still love that. I like that carryover. Yeah, too. I, was, I was like, yeah. He was not dainty about it either. No. <laughs> I love that he used it to puke on one of the weird. <laughs> the empirical eyeball things, yeah. Romp and sadness as well. Reminded me of when Ship screwed us over with the uh, Howard and Lyndon Shocket one. We're like, oh, happy. No, sad. No, you do that. <laughs> That's so mean. I enjoyed it, but uh, yeah, I was the same way. Like, I've read Deadpool, but I wasn't like, haven't been like super on it. I was like, oh, I definitely want to read that one because, again, Last Days of Magic because I've just been hooked on that Doctor Strange art. Super sick. It was, like, all colorful and then just, like, sad, dark, depressing shadow slowly walk away. I was like, oh, poor Wade. I'm not really much of a Deadpool reader. You know, I don't mind it by any chance, but this was a great, great issue. Cracking up right off the bat, Dad's like, you and your foofy (laughs) veganism. (laughs) It's just like, oh, God. Michael. Michael, that's right. This is just fucking crazy, man. I I was laughing a lot during this whole thing. It's just so much funny shit. And I know it's funny because this whole run, Last Days of Magic, I mean, it's such a serious story. And then just to throw in, I I thought it was interesting, like the the juxtaposition between the normal run of the story and how serious everything is and how serious it is when when the empiricals are coming in, all the goofy Deadpool shit that's going on in in the background. Just I was laughing a lot during this one. Yeah, I thought it was really balanced, those two things, the seriousness of the empiricals. And like Michael is a character that's been in Deadpool now for, for a couple of years. So seeing him die, I, I mean, I've, I've read most of Deadpool. So, it you know, it made an impact on me. He went out like a hero, which I appreciated that, like I said, the whole thing with him, he's just kind of been this, you know, goofy fuck up, basically, who like try, you know, has a heart of gold and wants to do the best, but his stuff doesn't work. And then I appreciated that his last spell, it worked. It saved people. And then it was, it was tragic with his wife, you know, being left behind. And, you know, so it balanced a lot of tones really well. So him grabbing the book, like him teleporting to grab the book, talking to the ancient one in the painting. Like, oh, dude, you haven't said anything all this time. And I've been mm-hmm. in here fucking around. And then as he, as when he teleports away, <laughs> like the face palm. Like, <laughs> Do you notice that she was wearing a Chef Cthulhu apron. Yeah, she was. Yeah. In the last couple of panels, I was like, "Oh, yep. they they were adorable." And then I felt really bad actually for Wade having to like go and like tell her what happened. He didn't know. Yeah. 
Well, no, but and also that pointed out Wade has like a military background. That last mm-hmm. duty to his that reminded companion. me of like the scenes you see in some of the movies where it's like the letter is coming to tell the wife that your husband has passed away. As soon as like the knock on the door, it's like kind of what it se- immediately seemed like. They were touching on that kind of classic movie and real life yep. experience. I'm gonna give it uh, four upshots. I gave it four Benjamin. I Franklin. give it four Bill Die the Science Murder Guys. <laughs> I gave it three Americans hate science. Oh, yes. So So I had another little corner of the the Marvel Universe for us. I had The Astonishing Ant-Man number eight from Marvel Comics, written by Nick Spencer, art by Brent Schoonover, colors by Jordan Boyd. So this one is, I don't know if you guys read The Superior Foes of Spider-Man or not, but this is kind of similar to that. Man, there's this new uh, app there's kind of like Uber for uh, supervillains, basically. Tinder more. <laughs> Call for a supervillain. A supervillain shows up, and t- you know, okay, maybe that is like Tinder. You just I don't say know. swipe left, swipe left, right? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. got to talk about Hinch. So, and Hinch will turn you into a supervillain if you if you sign up with them, which is what Ant Man's daughter has done to get her revenge. He's Ant-Man is using this to recruit a team of villains to go out and do what he needs because he can't he can't involve anyone else in this. So you get to see these goofy ass fourth string D-lister supervillains, which is just is really funny when you when you get to see like a little peek into their lives. Oh, I thought this book was hilarious. Yeah, it was pretty funny. All of Ant-Man is really funny. So I love the poker. So you get to see these goofy guys, and then there's like the magician who's this new sort of supervillain, like his dad was. A supervillain and he found all his stuff so but he doesn't really know what to do so he you know signs up with hinch and he goes to meet these uh these other guys who are going to be part of this crew and they start instructing him and in how supervillain tips basically and they're kind of busting each other's balls about their stupid nickname code names or whatever and powers which i thought was really <laughs> funny and they start giving him some advice like you know never work for the nazis like they pay really well but they all have death lasers that they'll fry you with and then if you ever go to New York, stick to Midtown. That's where that's where Spider-Man is, and he'll just he'll web you up, and that's not so bad. If you go into Hell's Kitchen, you know you're gonna get Daredevil, and he's a psychopath. And then you know, of course, if the Punisher shows up anywhere, just run. The Punisher warning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I just run and pray. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Yeah. If you go to Harlem, like, yes. you like Luke Cage, uh, like the Heroes for Hire, and they're not so bad. Like, yeah, they'll kick your ass, but they're pretty cool guys. So I thought that was his wife seems nice. I like yeah, that Jessica one. Jones. Yeah. <laughs> So then basically Ant-Man shows up at this meeting, like enlarges himself so they can see that he's there and they don't believe him that he's trying to recruit them. So they all start battling and it's just in the background. So what I liked about it, about these panels, I thought were really cool is you've got all these like three stooges, basically fight scene going on in the background with people like shooting each other and people are ducking. So other people are getting shot and there's the magician guys like summoning a bunch of birds in the middle of the fight. I I found those panels to be really funny. And then his ex-girlfriend, supervillain is just kind of sitting there drinking her martini while all this like goofiness is going on so then finally you know they they stop fighting and then they realize that there's a job that they got to do and then you see cassie breaking into the facility for the person who stole her heart to get her pim particles from it so she's breaking in there to get her revenge which is why she joined hench because that's how she could get her her powers back but she doesn't want to actually be a supervillain. she just wants to take down this one guy and of course he's there at the end so I thought it was a really funny book. I laughed my ass off for reading it, which is pretty true for most my, Ant-Man books. So what'd you guys think? If it was my pick, this probably would have been my pick of the week. I 
I love books that can make me chuckle and kind of have that can make fun of themselves. And I love cameos. Like, it was just hilarious. I mean, I mentioned the Punisher, so it was going to have some part off right there. But just, I love the grinder Tinder, like, you know, the, the app that just, I just loved everything about that. Like, that needs to appear other times as well. It is just too funny. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It made me happy to read. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Christina? Anytime you put a, a poker game into a comic book, I'm totally in. That's like, I was like, that's my jam. I love that. I appreciate that. It's fun. Enjoy that. I thought it was great. Read Ant, the most recent series of Ant-Man off and on. Now I think I need to go back and fill in some of the gaps. I think I only read the first two or three. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, Scott has his detective agency, or security firm, sorry, not a detective agency. And he's got all these other supervillains that he's giving like a second chance to. It's pretty yeah. funny. He's got like this grizzly bear guy who wears this huge grizzly bear suit in Miami. I like that guy. Yes. I remember that guy. Yeah. Grizz, I think is his name. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I was thinking about you when I was seeing all these uh, super villains, Rory. What'd you think of them? <laughs> oh my God. It was fucking great. I mean, just called it perfectly. It's like, they're just like the fifth, sixth, seventh string shittiest fucking super villains you could find. But you know what? I gotta say, they did it right though with these they're guys. They're not pretending like, they're cool. Totally... <laughs> Oh, laughing the entire time. Oh, my favorite is the guy's like, not every girl can handle a man in a helmet. (laughs) Yeah, oh, God, he was hilarious. Cat calling all the chicks on the, uh, while he's going through (laughs) Tinder. Where where can I find this app? Because I want to find some some hot super chicks. (laughs) The getting webbed up is always better than a concussion. That was my favorite fucking line in the whole thing. It's just, I love it when they do stuff like this, or when people do stuff like this, because really it's like, the superhero genre is so goofy, and there's been so many, you know, superheroes that are all out there, and I kind of associate that with Ant-Man, you know, because it's like, speaking of kind of like shitty superpowers, and kind of a weird, weird character, oh man, this was such a great ride. I I really enjoyed this one. I gave this four swipe rights. (laughs) I gave it four, not every girl can handle a guy in a helmet. <laughs> I will give it four all ins because they're actually playing Texas Hold'em. If you look at the what their cards are laid out, I'm gonna give it four Miss Jingle Snouts. <laughs> uh, it's a funny book, it really is. Seriously, pick it up and read it. Even if you don't read the rest of Ant Man, yeah. pick it up and read it. This is good for a chuckle and a laugh. Yeah, this is this is a don't miss for sure. So take us over to Japan. Alrighty, I've been waiting. Here we got Yusagi Yojimbo. Yes, gentle listeners, you're in for a treat. If we're talking about Yusagi Yojimbo, you need to have Rory talk about it. Do you remember, dear listeners, before Rory was on our show and we reviewed Yusagi Yojimbo, we mentioned him by name as the person who introduced both Carissa and I to Yusagi. This is true. <laughs> I'm the world Yusagi Yojimbo expert. I've been reading since number one, which was 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> My thought is like, oh, that's mine. <laughs> Yeah, kind of interesting things, especially I haven't been keeping up lately with Usagi. So interesting that they put the intro in there. That's something that, that I haven't seen him do before. Who puts out Usagi Ujimbo? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so excited. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> Uh, Yusagi Yojimbo, it is Dark Horse Comics, written by Stan Sakai, art by Stan Sakai, everything by Stan Sakai, because <laughs> he's awesome. In typical Stan Sakai fashion, uh, you start off, Yusagi's going through, he's cutting through forests, Jan has given him bad directions, or so he thinks. Suddenly... And just a Komori ninja. 
Kamori Ninja falls out of the sky, which was kind of random. For those of you who may or may not know, in Usagi Ojimbo, there's different clans of ninjas. They're all one species. So the the old favored clan of Lord Hikiji used to be the Neko Ninja, the cat ninjas. Kamori Ninjas are bats, so they've got these like big blades that are attached to their wings, and they go flapping about in the night. So this one falls out of the sky. Usagi nurses her back to health, and so she she tells him, you know, that she owes him a debt and blah blah blah. Later on, Usagi goes in and he makes his way to this inn and where cheap ass <laughs> food place. That's literally how they're advertising it. No one has died from this food this week. This week. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Usagi with with his Ronin lifestyle, living high and basically eating at Jack in the Box. Or it's not even Jack in the Box; it's like the buffet place. <laughs> he ends up meeting up with a, a guy from another story. Another thing that Stan Sakai loves to do is he loves to interweave a lot of his stories, so characters reoccur a lot of. That's the time. one of my favorite things about his writing. Is it? It's a very. It's a complete world. You know. Yes. Japan's not that big. You're going to run into people well, again. Well, it's like they don't just exist when they interact <laughs> with uh, Usagi. You know, they have their own lives that they're yeah. doing, and then they'll cross paths later. You know, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, he's he's been doing that the entire time. Everything's intermingled. He's probably got a, a giant board on his wall that looks like something out of Glenn Beck's studio. <laughs> with, like, <laughs> push pins and, like, string connecting everybody. Yeah, because I mean, he's been doing this for so many years, and there's so many characters, and a lot of the times that's what Stan likes to do is he'll... There's always something hidden in Usagi. It's very difficult to pick up all of it. You know, that's always been my thing as a... Even when I was a kid, is that I'd go back and I'd reread the comic, and I'd be looking around and seeing stuff that I'd missed in the panel. There's one where there's a particular other Ronin. Well, he's not a Ronin, but he's like a thug in the background that shows up different... You know, shows up in a different story. Signs up with him. The guy knows that Usagi's a badass. He hires them to, to guard this merchant and lord hikiji which if anybody knows yusagi's line that's the lord that uh killed off his lord when he was still serving so it's like kind of like no he's lord hikiji is actually human the snake is actually one of his like high up his like really high up lieutenants he's like the power hungry uh lord in japan so he's like he's trying to make moves and he's constantly there's always stuff that's involving him he's like a real underhanded character usagi finds out that lord hikiji is the person that's opposed to this treaty he's like immediately like oh shit danger everywhere because they're sitting there thinking that well you can't really stage an ambush here we're out in this clearing obviously usagi knows that he uses the kamori ninja so that's going to be the people and immediately like they swoop down cut a guy's head off and everybody fights when the kamori ninja that usagi had helped nurse back to health land she's like offering him chance to run which of course he never does or very seldom does job to do and he's not going to let it go past they have a fight they're both kind of hesitating and he broke his arm so he's not as good as he used to be and then she gets stabbed in the back <laughs> i always enjoy yusagi Jimbo. i totally think that the little ninja bat girl was drawn super cute sad that she had to go but you knew that was gonna happen pretty much <laughs> seemed like a typical one i i like when he started freaking out oh yeah that would be a good ambush spot if you flew which normal trees you know would be a problem so yeah it all made sense i thought it was real pretty much cute. a right in the classic line of usagi Yojimbo. Like when I first saw him, he's like walking through the woods and it's raining and he's lost. I'm like, man, how many times is this going to happen to this poor rabbit? 
<laughs> you know, can he ever walk at night when it's not raining? There's not a horrible storm that he has to go through. I liked that, even though this is a one of one and it stands alone, I appreciated all of the callbacks to previous stuff that's happened in sort of the more recent issues. His arm being broken when he fought. What are those little monster things with the bowls for heads that have water, the, the cucumbers? Yeah, so he fought them. That's where he got his arm broken. So I like that it's not instantly healed. And I like that he met up with the, you know, the bandits that he had fought previously. That was one thing I was really thinking about in this issue, that Usagi doesn't really have very many personal enemies. Like, he has the enemy who betrayed his lord. It's interesting that he understands that they had a job to do, and he had a job to do, and that doesn't make them enemies. I thought that was interesting, you know, that they can then work together later, you know, because they haven't betrayed each other personally. So I, I found that interesting. Well, Usagi talks a lot over the run of the whole art of the whole series. He talks a lot about duty, you know, because, of course, duty is, is the most important thing to a samurai, basically. A lot of times, that's the way he views things. It's like, you have your duty to do, and you do it. That's the reason why I wouldn't, you know, back up off of protecting this merchant. It's like, he swore to do his, you know, which is to protect this guy for money <laughs> with a bunch yeah. of deadbeats. <laughs> yeah, I just appreciate the cleanness of the, the, there's no wasted lines or anything in this, that everything is very deliberate until is there for a specific reason. What do you, mm-hmm. you, you end up giving? I will give it for Dark Rainy Night. Definitely good. I kind of wish that there was a little bit more going on. Yeah. It was a good Asagi run, but I mean, I always want a little bit more. But I'll never, I'll never have enough. So I gave it three and a half. Fake oh yeah, River that was Rock. a good story. That was a good Usagi story too. I will give it four Kamori Ninjas. I think it's a, it's not an exceptional Usagi story, but every Usagi story is so solid. Did you read this one, Christina? I did enjoy it. The freaking Bat Ninjas are awesome. That was awesome. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it a lot. So you yes. took my my rating bastard. So I will give it three and a half flu-ack gaz, because that was awesome, where they were getting attacked. Their, their reactions. Part like of that. DC's rebirth, they're taking all of their Hanna-Barbera properties and sort of relaunching them. So the first one that we have, and there's going to be, this one is the Johnny Quest one. There'll be a Johnny Quest one. There'll be a Scooby-Doo one. There's, what's the other one that they're doing? Wacky Racers. Yeah, so Wacky Racers. Wait, no Huckleberry Hound? <laughs> he might be in Wacky Racers. He was in the cartoons, right? <laughs> so this is Future Quest number one. It's from DC Comics. It's written by Jeff Parker, uh, art by Evan Shaker and Stephen Rude, colors by Jordi Belair. So this is very much, to me, felt like a very typical like Johnny Quest story. So he and Haji are out in the Florida Everglades flying around. Test, but they're supposed to be testing out these jetpacks, but they're kind of, you know, they're kids, so they're screwing around a little bit. And they find these weird, like, plants, creature things, these portals to other places that they're investigating. So they're doing that, and they're jetpacks are kind of, they're being attacked, so their jetpacks are malfunctioning, and they have to, you know, rescue each other from the air. So you got that adventure going on. And Race is in his jet kind of watching them do their stuff. And then he's like, it's funny, at least I found it funny, because he's like chastising them to be more careful. And then when he talks to the little dog, he's like, well, I would have done the same thing if I was a kid. And then you have, this is kind of where like the world of Johnny Quest is like expanding out a little bit in this, that one of the guys who's going to, to meet Dr. Quest is actually Birdman, who I'm not all that familiar with, but he's some kind of superhero that has bird powers i don't know they're talking about you know the villain that's there that is you know just as smart as dr quest but he's super evil of course kind of reminds me of like a ming the merciless type or, or something like that they're all trying to find these portals that are opening up they're like racing each other to find them and see what's going on when haji and johnny they crash with their jetpacks there's this kid that's been watching them he shows up with his little boat with like the big fan on the back that you use to travel through the swamps so they're going along and they they find this other portal that has space ghosts come out of it. 
That was kind of cool. <laughs> so overall, it's very much felt to me like watching an episode of Johnny Quest. Updated a little bit, but not too much. And then you had, like I said, some Space Ghosts and some Birdman. So all the Hanna-Barbera stuff is here. Overall, I found it perfectly fine. Not really, really great or bad. I think if you had a, like a younger child that you wanted to give a comic that they would have no issues with, that this would be a good choice for that. It had its good points, but I didn't think it was anything anything that knocked it out of the park for me. What did you guys think? I've never was a huge Johnny Quest fan. I was one of those kids that would watch it if it was on, nothing else on. And like, you know it in pop culture because there's like a lot of recurring like you know, jokes on it. And yeah, you're right. It felt just like a Johnny Quest one. So it's like, I didn't love it, nor did I really hate it. I was just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. They did a good job capturing that. But I wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm really into it. Yeah, I think I was pretty pretty much there with you on that one. I hate Johnny Quest. Need it. <laughs> <laughs> Find me uh, the same kind of asshole. Yes, oh, no, I agree with that. That's a good. That's a good assumption. Oh my god! I read it. I didn't want to read it, but then there was Space Ghost, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, so Space Ghost to me was the best part. That's why I laughed when you mentioned him. Like, yeah, Space Ghost. Yep, yep. That was the only. That was that was it. I don't care. I want the dog to eat them all. Bandit is bandit. Yeah, the dog. <laughs> yeah bandit is the dog. Yeah. <laughs> He's pretty small though. I don't think he can. <laughs> I just want him to get superpowers and just eat them all. I just, I hate. Never, never liked Johnny Quest. Ever, ever, ever. Least favorite cartoon growing up. <laughs> and I've seen some shitty cartoons. I just never, I could never Oh, did you it. guys, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just got really excited looking at a panel. <laughs> did you see, the, like, all the portals they have opened that they also have that caveman character? Captain uh, Caveman? Caveman? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Captain Kirby! He'll probably be teaming up with him. <laughs> I'm with everybody else on this one. I mean, Johnny Quest basically sucks. <laughs> I'd be more interested in having a story about Haji, you know, because at least he's not some entitled little fucker. You know, the artwork, it's it's kind of standard. Nothing really special going on here. The story's kind of, you know, I've never really been that big of a fan of Johnny Quest. I mean, I'd watch it when I was a kid, but I mean, pretty much anything Hanna-Barbera is like, that's when you're getting pretty dead desperate on Saturday to find some more Johnny cartoons. Johnny Quest was always you know? the one that was in between some of the shows that you wanted to watch, or, or that was getting towards the uh-huh. midday when there was less on, and you're just like, okay, how on? I wouldn't call Johnny Quest a Saturday morning cartoon. It's more like it's Tuesday after school. Oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. It was always like the, okay, there's nothing else uh-huh. on. That's when you would watch same thing as everybody else. The only thing I liked about this was Space Ghost. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was pretty middle of the road for me. I gave it three, three Space Ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> you all took, you you, you took the only thing that was good about it. <laughs> give it two Captain Cavemen, because if he's in that portal, I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll give it a two Bandit. I hope you kill them all. <laughs> this fucking <laughs> Try Jetpacks, maybe, Rory? I don't know. I'm going to give it two Bird Bands. <laughs> We don't even know what that fucker does. Didn't they have a thing on, was it Adult Swim that was like Birdman Lawyer? Harvey Birdman. I don't know if that's the same character or not. (laughs) Yeah, it was Harvey Birdman. Yeah, Yeah. and the same thing with the Space Ghost. What was it? Uh, What was it? Space Ghost Coast to Coast. That was it. Oh, I love that. If you look at the cover, too, it's like, you know, going back to the old jobber analogy, it's like Hanna-Barbera's entire lineup of superheroes is like, oh, God, you just, it's like, discount superhero store did you come from? (laughs) (laughs) So lame. So, something that wasn't lame, at least in my opinion, where you had a book for us, one we've been waiting for for a while. Civil War. Civil War 2, number zero. That's funny to say. Marvel Comics, written by Brian... Michaels Bendis, art by Oliver Capel, yeah. Colors by Justin Ponser. 
Ryan, I don't know. Not exploding from She-Hulk. Are you exploding? Oh, she's the, she's the, one of the main sides. I love yeah. I love Shulky. Mm-hmm. She is yeah. the best. Did she say Shulky? Shulky. She-Hulk. Uh, being weird. <laughs> weird for Civil War Two, you start off with She-Hulk doing some hot court action. Yeah, she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, She-Hulk will turn anybody into a to a Captain Kirk. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Kirk on Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. You wear that parachute, baby. <laughs> <laughs> She's fending. I wasn't was paying it? attention. I was just looking at her outfit. He's some third-rate supervillain. Jonathan Powers is his name. I don't know what his. his I think he's like the jester. Is. I think is his name. Oh, that's it. You're right. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, they talk about it way later on. She's defending him in this court case, and she's talking about how you know he basically didn't do anything wrong. We shouldn't interfere with freedom of thought because when you do, people aren't free. I thought that was really an interesting thing to start off with. Then you have you have War Machine in Latveria holding up the holding up. I, they don't really explain what they're doing there. It's just like, it's like a, a ceasefire people. or something. They're like because there's negotiations or something. Yeah, I, I don't really know exactly what was going on. I just knew that you know he comes flying in and there's all these guys with guns and he's he put them down kind of like brandishing their weapons and is saying stuff in in some of their language and he's like last warning and then everybody's like dropping their shit i thought that was kind of funny I it was interesting that he was like thank you <laughs> that i don't have to don't have to kill you guys yeah <laughs> he meets up in with the president over in the Situation Room, where he offers to make him Secretary of Defense, and with the promise of making him president down the road. So interesting things going on there. There's a lot of setup in this one. Like, did you guys notice that? It's yep. like they're, they're just setting everything yep, up yeah. with this. Well, that's probably why mm-hmm. it's issue zero. Well, yeah, true, true, true. Then you have a couple of college kids that are kind of sitting around. One of the college kids is about to is about to ask this chick out, and then the big cloud of Terrigen floats up, and everybody's all excited because it's like, oh, you know, what if I become a human? And it turns out that two of them do. Terrigen basically like turns people into weird chrysalis penis looking things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess they do. It does kind of look like a couple <laughs> of dicks, doesn't it? Like some gross dicks. Weird chrysalis dicks. Yes. I mean, those are extra gross dicks. Chrysalis <laughs> dicks and a sexy She-Hulk. What more could you ask for, people? Well, you're gonna get it because Captain Marvel's in this too. Well, yeah, we had yeah. Captain Marvel looking all hot. True. Captain Marvel is just like, oh my god, dude. <laughs> <laughs> She's meeting up with I don't know who the fuck he is, some dude, and he's like psychoanalyzing her, basically. He's a green, he's a green douche ponytail too. So, well, he's one of those like psychoanalyst guys, you know? Yeah, it's it's Doc Samson that she's meeting up. Oh, okay. I don't know who the fuck that is. They're kind of talking how they're trying to basically, like, preemptively preempt a lot of, like, the disasters. Because it's like, you know, we're, we're just barely missing. It's like every single time something happens, you know, we, we're just barely getting by. It's like how long before we, act, you know, it stops being a near, near miss and actually have a real disaster. So she's like, trying to talk about how just trying to get ahead of things. Once again, a little bit of foreshadowing, you know, just to maintain a little bit of control. And he's like, ah, you know, control's a delusion. Then back to She-Hulk in her outfit, looking all fine and talking to some some uh, shield chick. Yeah, it's Maria. <laughs> I hate Maria Hill. I like her Yeah, I was like, that's a little top gun right there. I'm glad I'm awesome. not the only one who appreciates She-Hole. Oh, dude, no, she's she's so badass. That's like my dream girl right there. She's the hottest green chick there Gamora. is. Eh, she's got it all. She's smart. She's a superhero. She's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. gonna call it right now, Team She-Hulk. She's. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Seriously. Then the uh, they go back the uh, penises and then the two inhumans surface and the dude discovers that he's what I assume he destroyed the city. He shows up in the city he's like completely destroyed. That's him so. seeing the future. Uh, I thought the demon thing was I, the girl coming out of her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did. And then he just had yeah the red eyeballs, and I, I didn't understand that that's what he was doing was seeing the that's future. That's what the Civil War is going to be about, is that he can predict the future. So if they yeah. know someone's going to do something three years from now, you know, do you go stop them now or not? Minority yeah. Report. Exactly. You know, the kid on the second to last panel from the panel from the bottom, where he's like, how am I? That does have a very Tom Cruise look. Yeah, you're right. Oh. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is he running, this though? He wasn't running. It's it really does, through. actually, now that you point it out. All the Top Gun references all making Very sense true. now. The Very lawyer true. scene's beginning was A Few Good Men. <laughs> okay. Very Very much. Much. Well, I actually got more of A Few Good Men vibe also from when Carol is talking, that she, she stands on that wall. You can't have You know, it. as part of Alpha Flight. Yeah. Dare to question how I provide safety for you. Mm. Like, yeah. I think that they're definitely drawing some inspiration from there. I loved this, man. I thought this was fantastic. I'm super oh, excited. Yes. Though the last panel of her with her glasses, I don't like that. She went from looking really pretty to looking like a weird, stern cool marm. The glasses look really cute until that last panel where she says, thank you. I don't know. She just looks very Angelica uh, Houston, I guess, in that one. I thought it was hot. <laughs> no, all of them do, except for that last one where she's saying thank you. I'm like, mm, she's not drawn that well in that one. She-Hulk. I'm giving it four and a half She-Hulks. I'm super excited about this, and I think it's going to be I think it's going to be an interesting run just with what they set up here in this comic book. They got me ready. The artwork's good, and you know... I will give it four and a half Terrigen Mist. <laughs> I gave it four and a quarter Roadie for President. So, those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. and On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.